Good morning. It's been a pleasure to worship with you today. Uh, I'm glad to see all of you. Uh, if you have your Bible, open to the book of Acts or Hechos de los Apostoles, in the, uh, if you're reading from the uh, Santa Biblia. The book of Acts, where we were last week and where we will be again today. And while you're opening there, I want to go ahead and uh, plug our next sermon series, uh, message series that begins next Sunday, and it's titled Between the Trees. And as I mentioned last week, that this is the story of God. Uh, but it's not only the story of God, it is our story as well, because we are the people of God, yes or no? And so it's, this is a vitally important story for us. It's, uh, it's, I think it'll be very helpful to us in, in a couple of ways. One, I, I want you to be inviting your friends, but as I said last week, don't invite your church-going friends. Not that they're not welcome, it's that this series is not really designed for those people. We want to ask our unchurched friends to come and hear this series because this message is going to be really targeted toward them and as we move through this story what hopefully it will give you is some tools or maybe a way to begin sharing that story with your other unchurched friends as we do that over a period of, uh, of, of four Sundays. And so that's what's coming up in, in May. There's one Sunday where I'm going to be out of town because I have to do an out-of-town wedding. Uh, and so it'll stretch into the first Sunday in June. But I hope that, uh, that you'll be praying about this series. I'm really looking forward to it uh, just as I read through the material and I'm just sort of getting my thoughts gathered on it. Um, I'm excited about the outcome of that. And so that's next Sunday. That is, that is between the trees. That's what, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Well, today, as you see, we're talking about power. Power is an important word, is it not? And it has various meanings, does it not? I mean, right now, we are experiencing power. Because if you quiet yourself, you hear the air conditioning running. You know, we, uh, we have lights are, that are on, even though we don't really need them because we've got such beautiful natural light in here. But we have them. You know, power does different things, okay? Power brewed this coffee that we're drinking this morning, right? And that's a good thing, is it not? Yes, coffee is from the Lord, yes? Yes, it was put here from the Lord, for the Lord, for us. And so coffee is a good thing. Uh, but then there's other uses of power, okay, where, you know, uh, someone can be in power or someone have power over another person or over a corporation or the power to make decisions. We think of power of attorney uh, in things like that when we start thinking medically. And so it takes on different connotations. And power is, is also one of those things that's Usually, people that have power protect power, don't like to give up power. Um, you see that throughout human history. Uh, and power can be both negative and positive, can it not? Because you can use 
power, whatever power you might have, whether it be great power or small power, everybody's got some, but we can use that power to affect people in a positive way or in a negative way. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. We can use that power to hurt. We can use that power to heal and to help and to advance. Okay. Uh, it's easy for people who have power and not a right motive or attitude or agenda to take power and abuse power. To oppress, to hold down, to bring injustice, to manipulate. Okay, and that's not a good usage of power. Okay, but then there are those who have power, who have a, a position, and they use that to help others. They use that to bring about advantage for someone else, to take care of them, to help end oppression, end injustice, end those kinds of things. And that's a good use of power and i think as followers of christ i think that's what we're called to are you you with me i think we are called to step in to messy situations and leave a mark does that make sense and to do that we have to have say it with me power the question is what kind of power will we have what kind of power will we tap into as we seek to do this? Well, last week, we focused on one word. Anybody remember that word? Wait. Yes. And what it means to wait. How many of you had, were able to think about that throughout this week or had to just for a moment where you're like, okay, I need to wait. I need to pray. I need to take something to God. Good. I'm glad to see that. I'm very glad to see that uh, because that not only means you're listening, which is fine, but more than that, you're applying. And you're not applying my word because the word wait is right there in, in Scripture. And so you're applying the words of Scripture into your life, and that's encouraging. Okay? And so last week, you know, we came out of Easter, and we're wondering what the church did And so we said, we're going to take last Sunday and this Sunday, and we're going to look at, at what happened. And really, there wasn't even a church at this point. It was just sort of the disciples. And remember, they're kind of just, they're hanging out, and they're hiding, and uh, Jesus is, is showing up, and he's appearing to them. And he appears before them, and he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. And we think, okay, well, what are they waiting for? And we found out what they were waiting for back in verse 8. When he says, you will receive power. Remember, the, remember the, the Greek word that we used there? We talked about dunamis. Remember that word? Let's say that one together. Ready? Dunamis. One more time. Dunamis. That's a, good, that's a good feeling word to say that, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the the ends of the earth. That's the, the power. That's the power that was going to come on to the people. And so Jesus was, uh, was taken away back up into heaven. And it says, then they returned to Jerusalem. And it names out the remaining apostles, the remaining 11. 
And so they go into the upper room, and verse 14 says, And these, these apostles, were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his, his brothers. And so you have these people, this small group, but then there's another group that you read about as the rest of chapter 1 closes out. It's about 120 people, and they are gathering and they're praying, and they are waiting on this power to arrive. Now then, they had no idea how long they would be waiting. Okay, so waiting is an act of faithfulness, is it not? Okay, and so when we wait, when we're waiting on an answer from the Lord, that is an act of faithfulness. Now we said that waiting on the Lord is not an easy thing, is it not? It is never an easy thing, and it's really tough for me. I, I shared with you a few ways in which I'm just a little bit Im, impatient. And some of you, too. How many of you were more patient in traffic this week? Yeah? Yeah? I, I see some faces like, no, no, no. I think I was. Uh, but <laughs> let me tell you this. This is really off subject, but it, it kind of applies since I talked about traffic last week. So, you know, it's the Rose Festival. Got the car show in town. and So I'm leaving my house. I'm going to take the boys downtown yesterday. And as I'm, I'm making the, the, the U-turn right here, here comes a Corvette club going by me. Okay, now that I like Corvettes, because they're awesome. Okay, right? This guy knows what I'm talking about. Corvettes are awesome. I like them. But I'm partial to, you know, Fords. Uh, and so I see them, and I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And I get behind, you know, the, you got two lanes. They're in the right lane. And, you know, we're just kind of cruising along. And the people in the left lane are putt-putty and so I think okay I, I need to go around them um, but here's this Corvette club right here next to me what should I do you know what I did I butted my way in I rode in the caravan with them <laughs> in the Corvettes and so they didn't they, they didn't especially like that but there I was cruising along with the Corvette club from Florida hopefully Hopefully, they liked that. I don't know that they did or not, but, you know, we have to be patient in traffic. We have to learn to wait. Waiting is not easy. We have to learn to trust God, and that is an act of faithfulness to wait. And that's where these people are, this, this group of 120 people with the apostles and with Jesus' family, they are waiting. They're waiting on this power to arrive. And so they go into this season of prayer. They, they choose another apostle, Matthias, to sort of take the place of Judas. So they enter this season of prayer, and it's going to last somewhere around 10 days. Okay? Because it says that Jesus appeared to them for 40 days and then was taken up. Okay, then they return to Jerusalem, and they're just praying. Well, the next thing that happens, the next big event that comes after Passover takes place 50 days later, which is called Pentecost. Pentecost is about to happen. And so they are in this period, and then they are praying. And then in Acts chapter 2, you have this incredible story that takes place at Pentecost. Let's begin reading together in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound 
like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying, and tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then, notice this verse, verse 4, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 8 is being fulfilled right here. Go to Jerusalem, wait on the power. Wait on the Holy Spirit. It's just happened right here. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. And so you've got all these people in town. All these people in Jerusalem who are, are celebrating Passover. And you have these different nationalities. These different races. These different tongues. And yet all of a sudden, they're able to understand things in their own language. There were Jews living in Jerusalem. Devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them all speaking in our own language the magnificent acts of God. So you have all of these people, this, this melting pot of nationalities, all together in one place, and they begin to hear and understand the Galileans, the, the, the apostles. They begin to hear these people speaking, and they understand it. But they're saying they're Galileans. How is this happening? And what they're hearing is the mighty acts of God. Now then watch verse 12. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this be? But some sneered. So they're full of new wine. They're drunk. Which, you know, drunk people usually are the most clear persons around. They speak very good. Very clear, right? No problem understanding drunk people, right? None whatsoever, okay? But that's what they're saying. Look at how great this is, this amazing act of God. What's happening? Oh, they're drunk. That's what's happening. They're hammered. That's why we can understand this. And it's almost like, are you sure you're not drunk? Because I'm not sure what you said just makes sense. And Peter knows this. And so verse 14 says, Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine in the morning. You know, it's not Miller time. Okay, it's nine in the morning. But they're saying they're drunk. On the contrary, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. And so Peter then selects the very 
first text of the Christian era of ministry. And he's going to preach the very first sermon about Jesus. And this happened on Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus has been resurrected, after he's been crucified. He stands up and he begins to preach. And he says, they're not drunk. You're seeing fulfillment of prophecy. Because Joel said, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity or all flesh. Then, pay attention, your sons and what? Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days. And they will prophesy. I will display the wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and cloud and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, this is what's happening. Long ago, the prophet Joel spoke to the people and he told the people what God was going to do in the future. He said, a time is coming where I'm going to pour out my spirit on all of my people. All the people who call on my name. Young and old, slave and free, men and women, all will prophesy about what I'm doing. All will stand up and testify to these good things that are going to happen. I'm going to display my wonders in the heaven. I'm going to display them on earth. The sun will be turned to darkness. You remember when that happened? Six hours, one Friday. Seven weeks earlier when Jesus hung on the cross. Do you remember that? This prophecy is taking place now. The Spirit is poured out on all people. And here's the thing, the reception of the Spirit, the reception of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is evidence of a relationship with God. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. The reception of the Holy Spirit is evidence of a relationship with God. Well, you say, well, what is the, what is the evidence? We're going to get there. So Luke, he recognizes, Luke as he's writing this, he recognizes the worldwide Gentile mission. Even though Peter may not fully understand it yet, but it began when Christ appeared on earth.
and it'll find completion when he appears again. At the next advent, the Acts 2, the power has arrived. And so then in verse 22, he begins to tell the story. Now in verse 22, now that he's set up, now he's offered an explanation. He said, hey look, the Holy Spirit is here and all people, we need to pay attention to that. All people are going to prophesy. All of my people are going to testify. Are going to preach Jesus. This is what's happening. And here is the message. And Peter begins to give the first gospel message right here. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words in verse 22. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles and wonders and the signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. You know why they know? Because they were there. The people were there. They saw Jesus do these things. Though he was delivered up according to God's Determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people, Romans, to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held on by it. And then he quotes David from Psalm 16, saying that the Lord is at his right hand and that my flesh will rest in hope because God did not leave Jesus in Hades to decay verse 28 says you have revealed the path of life to me you will fill me with gladness in your presence so brothers I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David he is both dead and buried and in his tomb with us to this day David, our father. I can speak boldly about him. We know who he is. He's part of our story, but David is dead and gone, and we can go visit his tomb. We know where he's buried. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants, Jesus, on his throne. Seeing in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. He says, we know where David's buried. We can go to his tomb, and we can find it, but we can't go find the tomb of Jesus, or at least if we could go there, he's not going to be there. You ever wonder why we don't really know where the tomb of Jesus is? I mean, there's guesses, but no one really knows. I think we would probably end up making it sort of a shrine if we did that. But the point of the tomb is that Jesus is not in it. The point of the tomb is that it's empty. David is in his tomb. His descendant that was prophesied about is not because God resurrected him. And Peter is saying we are witnesses of that. Because what does Acts 1 tell us? That Jesus appeared to them for 40 days. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from him, from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out on you both what you see and hear. In other words, this is from the Holy Spirit. Everything you're hearing, everything that you're seeing, this, this, this language that's, that's happening that you understand, it's from the Holy Spirit. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but it is he, David himself, who says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. Then he wraps up the sermon with this line. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's the first ever gospel sermon right there. The first ever sermon about Jesus preached 2,000 years ago by Peter. You remember how Peter was pre-Holy Spirit? Remember that? Always get himself into trouble. I think we talked about that a little bit last year. Rebuked Jesus, those kinds of things. And now you have Peter stepping up and he said, hey, look, you guys don't get this. Let me tell you what was going on. Let me show you who he was. You could almost hear Peter saying, I didn't get it either. But now I do, and here's why I get it. And all this is happening because of the Holy Spirit, because of the the power that they have been waiting on. The reason Peter's able to stand up and preach Jesus is not just because he happened to know Jesus, but because now he's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to preach Jesus. Does that make sense? All these people that it talked about, all the, the, uh, the sons, the daughters, the young, the old, the men, the women, the male or female slaves, the only reason... They are able to proclaim this prophecy about Jesus is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? That's how we're able to do it to this day through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they hear this message in verse 37. Peter doesn't offer an invitation. But they say, hey, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to be saved? And Peter says, I'll tell you what you do. You repent. You turn away from that old life. You have that change of heart that brings about a change of action. And you be baptized in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, we're brought into Jesus. We're buried with Jesus. And it's then that we receive the Holy Spirit. Our sins are washed away. We connect with Jesus in baptism. And we receive this power that has been talked about that has been prophesied about. It says this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off. Thank God for that. As many for the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Now then watch what happens at the end of this chapter. It's just incredible. So those who accepted the message were baptized that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. 
Then a great fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting in the temple complex. And they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who are being saved. Right there, that's the birth of this. That's the birth of the church. Right there. There's no church to this point. Okay? When Jesus was walking around and he was preaching and teaching, you realize there's no church at that point, right? There's no church. It does not happen. It does not become this, this body of people, this, this new movement until after Peter preaches this sermon and all of these people respond. Now you have, now you have the church. Okay? And so they began devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to praying together. They became a God-centered, a theocentric community of people who relied on one another, who relied on God, who relied on the Holy Spirit, and they met the needs of the people. They were God-centered. They were spirit-powered to do all of these things. You see, we have that same access. We have that same, we, can, we have access to that same spirit that comes and dwells within us that we receive at our baptism, that empowers us to do these same things, to prophesy, to testify, to talk about Jesus, to serve people to break bread with one another, to encourage each other through fellowship, to meet one another's needs. All of that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And it's the evidence of the Spirit is seen in the relationship with God. So what is, the, what is the evidence of the Spirit? Turn over to Galatians 5 real quick. Galatians 5. And keep in mind, we're talking about power. Paul fires off this letter to the Galatians church. And as you read this letter, you, you realize Paul's he's probably pretty hacked off at the way some things are going. And I think he's talking about power here. In verse 19, see if power has anything to do with these. Verse 19, he says, The works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strifes, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar about which I tell you in advance. As I told you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the world's power right there. 
You see it? That's the power that a lot of people tap into. And they use it to abuse and manipulate and hurt and deceive and step over and cut throats and everything else to get what they want. That's the world's power right there. But Paul says in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in other words, the manifestations of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there's no law against those kinds of things. That's the power that you tap into. Okay? Now, I said reception of the Spirit is evidenced, and that evidence reveals that we have a, a relationship with God. So how do we know if we have that power? Because these fruits are being manifested in our lives. That's how we know we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So as, as you interact with people on your job or a uh, in your neighborhood or your family or grocery store or, or wherever it might be? Are you operating from the love of the Holy Spirit? Do you have joy in a situation where there's not a whole lot of joy going around? Can you find joy in the midst of those things? Do you have peace in the midst of turmoil? Or another side of the coin of it is, do you bring peace into the midst of turmoil? Just by your presence alone. You ever known anybody like that? There's a tense situation, and somebody just shows up, and you know by their presence alone, man, kind of eases off some of the tension. You know that? That's somebody who is manifesting the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that fruit of of peace. Do you have patience? That's what we talked about last week. We talked about waiting. Patience is a, a, is a manifestation of the Spirit. Goodness and, and kindness. We seem to be lacking more and more of those in our society. Faithfulness and, and gentleness, self-control. Those, those are the marks of the Spirit. And so here's, here's what I was thinking about. And, and speaking of power, <laughs> this thought came to me at 3 o'clock this morning as I laid in the bed wide awake. Could not sleep. My backup power was running. Just couldn't sleep. Nothing, no, nothing happening. Just couldn't sleep. And so I pick up my phone, I'm reading through the text, have this thought, and here's what it is. As I think about the power of the Holy Spirit, as I think about the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit, people who are gifted by the Spirit will leave marks of the Spirit wherever they go. Does that make sense? That's not like a 3 o'clock rambling that makes no sense, right? You would tell me, right? Okay. P 
people who are gifted by the Spirit will leave marks of the Spirit wherever they go. What are the marks of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the marks of the Spirit. Okay? When you find yourself operating out of those things, when things are just kind of going nuts around you, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Okay? You ever been in a situation where something bad has happened and you have every right to be angry about it? And, 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 and you can be angry and you are angry, but you are like Jesus. You're angry and you don't sin. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation? That's the Holy Spirit working. Now then, when the other kind of power is at work in those kinds of situations, what do we become? We become vengeful. We want to try to take things into our own hands. And I can tell you, I've had more times than I care to admit where I've operated under that kind of power than under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've always regretted it. But then I can also think of some times where I can look back and I say, man, the only way I managed that was because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I never regret those times. And I may not have got the outcome that I wanted, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was at work within me and can be at work within us. And so I think the takeaway this morning is this. If you've been baptized into the name of Jesus, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within the believer. Now, as we said, that's not a one-time shot. Okay, we have to allow ourselves to continually be filled by the Spirit. Okay? Remember, and later on in Acts chapter 6, when they're choosing deacons to kind of help carry some of the load... They said, choose people that are known to be full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can be a follower and not be known to be full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and we know that because we've experienced that in our own lives, have we not? So we know that we have to stay connected to the power, right? Got to stay plugged in. Connected to the power. Okay? If you are a believer... If you've been baptized into Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you are gifted. You hear me? You are gifted. It's like what Jeffrey said a few minutes ago. It's no longer just the priests. You are now a priest. You have the power at work in your life. You have the ability to affect change through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to love people that are unlovable. You have the ability to bring peace into a tense situation. You have the ability to show kindness 
and goodness. You have the ability to be gentle with somebody who is just on the verge of falling apart. You have the ability to be patient. You. You who have the Holy Spirit, every one of you, male, female, young, old, have the ability to prophesy, to teach, to talk about Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have that power. Can you believe God trusts us with that? That's unbelievable, is it not? This is the story that he welcomes us, invites us into. People who are gifted by the Holy Spirit will leave marks of the Holy Spirit, traces of the Holy Spirit, however you want to say it, wherever they go. And so the charge to you this morning is this. If you are a believer that has the Holy Spirit living in your life, a baptized believer, if that is you, your job, my job, is to go and leave marks of the Holy Spirit all over this community. Does that make sense? It's easy to say, oh, we'll just leave it to the preacher. We'll leave it to the elders. Well, yeah, partly. But guess what? We're also leaving it to you as well. Right? Because you're the priests too. Are you leaving marks of the Spirit where you go? We've been singing this song for a while. It's Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Sang it before. I asked Kendall to lead it before because I wanted it to sort of get our mindset ready for what we're going to talk about. And so as he begins to just play it, I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to think about this, this idea. Do I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life on a daily basis? Am I leaving marks of the Spirit where I, where I go? And if not, the answer is repent. Turn back. Start over. Start fresh. But maybe it's that you don't have the Holy Spirit operating in your life at all because you've never given your life to Jesus. Start today. Jesus was crucified for you because of your sin, because of my sin. Yet, just like David said, God did not leave him in the grave to decay. God resurrected him and made him both Lord and Messiah. And so we can have salvation through Jesus. What comes with that is the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in each and every believer. But it doesn't just stop there. Because we have to stay connected to continually rely on 
His power at work within us. Without it, there's no way to love. There's no way to be joyous, to have peace in the midst of chaos, to have patience during a season of waiting. There's no way to be good and kind and gentle. There's no way to be completely faithful. There's no way to have self-control without the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And you know as well as I do that we've got people here that have a lot going on in their lives. And I know you do because I've talked with some of you and you need this in your life. You can't survive this on your own. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So are you welcoming the Holy Spirit into your life? And are you leaving marks of the Spirit where you go? This is what I want you to wrestle with. So go ahead and stand. And as Kendall begins to sing, let that wrestle in your head. If you need to make changes, do it now.
glory really what we're longing for.